Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Today's topic, using your creativity for good, not for evil. This topic came to my mind when I was watching a conversation between Brene Brown and Oprah, two good sources if ever there were. And Brene said something that you may know, but I had never heard it before. She said, unused creativity is not benign. And I was like, huh? And, and then Oprah repeated it and took it in. And they both apparently know exactly what to do that, with that. But I didn't. I went away thinking, it sounds really true and quite profound. But I don't exactly know what it means. So I began paying attention to this. And I know I've talked before about how one of the things people have told us to do with COVID is now's a perfect time to bring out your creativity, write that book of poems, uh, you know, draw that children's book you've been planning forever, learn to play the kazoo, whatever. And then there's this kind of, I'm too stressed to be creative. Like I'm locked up in my house. I don't have a job. And you want me to what, take up finger painting? Like what, what is your gig here? And I was, so I was kind of caught between, do we encourage a lot of creativity or do we just help people get by and creativity is a kind of luxury? Did you know the word school actually originally meant something you do in your free time? It was something that the leisure classes did, the, the wealthy could afford to just sit and learn things. You know, they didn't have crops to plant and cows to milk and whatever. They could just sit around and like learn math. So school now has become something you must do, must do. But originally it was creativity. It was learning for its own sake, for the fun of it. And it's, it's strange how culturally we seem to do that. We take something that's fun and joyful and we can turn it into something that's laborious and difficult and challenging and hard. I can't tell you how many artists and singers and even athletes I've coached who started to do their, their creativity for money and lost all the enchantment. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to see what my creativity does. And I was talking to my family about it. And we decided that yesterday, by, you know, the day before I'm making this podcast, blogcast, vlogcast, everything, um, it was going to be creativity day. And all we would do is creativity. And if you, if your creativity was to cook, you would cook. And if your creativity was to put together a jigsaw puzzle, that's what you would do. My creativity was to paint. I was to paint all day. And I'd been griping about how I never get a chance to paint. Because once I put the paint out on a palette, then I have to go do something else and the paint dries and I can't paint. So th the whole family said, okay, you get a painting day. So I, I sat down yesterday and tried to have a creativity day and I discovered something very, very interesting. Creativity is freaking terrifying. That's what I realized. I sat there in front of, like I knew exactly what I wanted to paint. I knew the steps of it. I did the steps and I started looking for other things to do. Oh, I think I should clean out the oven. Oh, maybe I, I need to respond to the email that's been accumulating in my inbox for 17 years. I think, you know, really I should give someone a massage. You know, it, it kept devolving to two things. One, sorry, I keep hitting my pop guard. Um, one thing was stuff you do for money. And the other thing is stuff you do to please other people. Now, if you're a man, um, if you're cis male in particular, the pressure is on you to do things just for money and really nothing else. If you're a cis woman, then the pressure is on you to do things for other people. 
and to earn money and nothing else. So these are, and if you're, you know, if you're neither male nor female, you're so discriminated against by society that you might as well just, yeah, you're going to have to be creative, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. So there I was with my paintbrushes and all the time, the, the whole day spread out before me and I was afraid I couldn't do it anymore. I was afraid that it would be bad. I was afraid it wouldn't be pleasant. And so, but the family said, this is your painting day. You have to start. So I began and it was awful. It was terrifying. I kept like, I didn't know what colors, I, all the problems I've ever had with drawing. And my old art professor at Harvard used to say, the sooner you learn enough to overcome your first 5,000 mistakes, the sooner you get on to the next 5,000. Like there's no place where you're not gonna make mistakes. And it just, the mistakes just get harder to solve. Like the mistakes that are pretty easy to solve um, at the beginning level, give way to very difficult technical challenges that just have tiny increments of improvement, but they take a lot of effort. So um, I'm always trying to, to solve these problems to get through these particular issues with painting and drawing. And there's stuff you would never, <laughs> you would not be interested if I started talking about them. But I remembered seeing this guy on YouTube because I love to go on YouTube and watch people who do painting demos. It's very inspiring. And there's this one guy in particular who draws very similar scenes, very small panels with canvases of, of pretty days with blue sky and trees and grass. And that's kind of it, but he's phenomenal at it. And he, he does hundreds and hundreds of different pictures of trees with sky and grass. So one day I was watching him and he came on to, to do a painting that was half finished. And he said, you know, I'm gonna work over on this part of the painting today. This part isn't really working for me, but sometimes when you get the other part done, it sort of balances the first part. He just goes, well, I guess there's nothing to do but battle on. And he takes his little tiny paintbrush and he's battling on because that's what it feels like when you're trying to push past a creativity problem. And if you don't get to that edge of difficulty, you don't get into what Chicks and Me I called flow. I talked about that last week, I believe. This state where things are almost too hard, just barely, barely not too hard. That's the place where we have to push ourselves. And if we can get into it over that threshold of fear, it's really, really pleasant, addictive, euphoric even. So after a few hours, but I kept getting up and saying, okay, enough painting. I got to go take care of this or that. And they'd say, no, my family was like, sit down, you're painting today. And I actually did get to the state of flow at like six in the evening after painting for most of the day. Now, by that time I'd realized something and it's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. And it's why Brene Brown, I believe this is why Brene Brown said that unused creativity is not benign. I realized that by refusing to push the edge of my creativity with painting, I was, I, I was allowing myself to go into patterns that were easy for me because they were socially acceptable. And, and that's the money and the people pleasing, right? That's what our culture says to do. And if I fall back into those, I know I have to clean the kitchen. I have to smile at my friends. I have to do whatever. I know what to do to please people. I know what to do to try to earn money. Whether it works or not is usually an open question, but I know what those things are. But that isn't what I want to do with my life. 
what I want to do with my life is push past the edge of what I'm used to into a life that works better and better and better for me into something that feels cleaner and purer and more spiritually centered and more compassionate and more useful. Like there's this whole range of beauty because that's what I'm looking for. I don't know if all, I don't think everybody paints to paint beauty. Some people want to paint ugliness because they want to pay, you know, call attention to the ugly things in the world. But I'm obsessed with beauty. Um, and I have been since I was born. <laughs> and I remember somebody saying to me when I was in my 30s, what are you trying to say with your paintings? Do you have demons that you have to exorcise by painting? And I was like, really, there's only one message <laughs> in every painting or drawing I've ever done in my life. And that message is, look, <laughs> look pretty, pretty, that's pretty. I'm kind of like a crow with shiny objects. Ooh, pretty could ask a crow, why do you collect these shiny objects? Well, I'm trying to make a statement about the in inherent in in unfairness of a world where only few have a posable thumb. No, they just want pretty. And I'm that kind of painter. So there's a beauty that we bring to our lives. There's a, a sense of meaningful, purposeful, joyful, worth, value that comes when we push ourselves to the limit of creating a life and then forward. And I'm doing, we're, we're creating right now, my team and I are making uh, the practical wayfinding course for later this summer. We, we love doing that. So we've done it a couple of times. We're gonna keep doing it and adapting it every time. And this coming time, I think it's in July, it's about, it's specifically about creating your life and bringing the tools of creativity to the construction of your ordinary days. It can't, it can't even be the special painting days when you get to sit down and be creative. It has to be every day getting up and saying, what work of art will I make with my life today? What work of creativity, what beauty can I create today? And every single time you do that, it's like, oh, that part's not working so well. This is okay, I'm supposed to work on that. I guess I'll just battle on. And you have a more compassionate, coaching session if you're a coach you have a more you have a wiser time raising your children you have more fun playing with your cat like there are places where you can start to push the envelope that you've already achieved and create more uh, a more gratifying life now it's pretty easy when it's just recreational stuff right when it comes to freeing yourself from what you already know and doing something brand new. So say you take people pleasing. You know, okay, this is my the way I relate to people. What is a more creative way, a truer way to relate to people than mere people pleasing? What if I have to, and again, this is a Brene Brown thing, sit down and have an uncomfortable conversation in order to create more truth and beauty in a relationship? If you're making money, you might know how to do that, but what if you hate your job? Is there a way you can create and I had a lot of physical disabilities that made it hard for me to keep an ordinary job. So I had to create something that would add worth to the world so much so that people would pay me money to do it and I would feel good about that. So for me, making a living is a constant act of creation. And it's never easy. It's never easy, you guys. It may look that way if somebody's been doing it for a few years, but I guarantee, you know, when Oprah was doing her new network, um, she talked about every day waking up in an absolute panic 
because she was so frightened by the, the magnitude of the creative task she had undertaken. So the people who look like they have life easy are usually the ones who are pushing the edge of their capacity to create a meaningful and joyful life that is of worth to other people and using that to both make a living and to make one's inner life richer and to make the lives of others richer and more full. So this is my challenge for us this week. I have a challenge for you almost every week, right? This week, I want you to think of something that you do for fun in your spare time, like school used to be. I want you, you know, if you're a painter, paint. If you're a, a dancer, dance. If you are a poet, write some poetry. But get, put some isolated time, like put it in your calendar. During this time, I will be creative. And I'm telling you, it will. I, if, if it doesn't terrify you, you write to me and I will, t I will personally give you a virtual pat on the head. Maybe, maybe not. That sounds really technically complicated. So maybe not. I'll have to create a new way to do that. Get back to you later on that. Anyway, take your creative time and face it, like battle on. If you sit down and think, I really don't know what to do with this quilt or whatever, like get through it, do it badly. That's another thing that I used to, that I always have to tell myself. If it's worth doing at all, it's worth doing badly because almost nobody does something worthwhile perfectly from the beginning. And that period of doing things badly is excruciating. It's not fun. Okay, but keep at it until you start to feel some aspect of flow. Either you've broken through a little bit or you've actually got a little bit of that yummy euphoric, ooh, I'm lost in the process now. Okay, so that's the first part of the assignment. And if that's all you do, that's great. But there's a second part, which is as you leave that creative moment, find another place in your life where you can make something more beautiful. So it might be in a specific relationship, it might be in the, your way of making a living, it might be in what you do um, to try to leave a legacy for your family, anything you're real, you really care about. See if you can create something new with it instead of reiterating what's done before. Um, I like to talk about the two types of intelligence that little babies have, um, a lot of fluid intelligence and very little of what's called crystallized intelligence. They learn incredibly quickly, but they don't have a big store of wisdom. Older people, they used to think that we had a big store of crystallized intelligence and no fluid intelligence. But here's the thing. When people keep pushing themselves to create, even as they get older, the fund of crystallized knowledge grows and grows and grows. And then the fluid intelligence also grows. So imagine the capacity of someone like Leonardo da Vinci, who has, or for that matter, um, who wrote Hamilton? Yeah, Lynn Mountain, well, Miranda. I mean, a total genius continuing to create and create and create and store more crystallized intelligence. What we get then is huge leaps forward in the beauty of the human condition and in what we can do for each other and for ourselves and for the rest of the planet. So that's my challenge to you. At least one period of creative action followed by increased creativity in some area of your life that is not your art. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. 
Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Okay, so now we will have the questions. Here they are. (laughs) Heather says, After a dry spell, getting started with creativity reminds me of hiking. After about 20 minutes of hiking, I suddenly get there, and I finally smell and see and breathe deeply. Isn't that, like, that is the reward, and yet we don't, we push back from it. I'm the same way with working out. Once I get into it, Everything feels blissful, but I don't want to get into it. What is that? There's this initial barrier, and that's what keeps us away from expressing creativity. And now I'm thinking that's not so, that's not just a passive thing. That's malignant. That's malign, the opposite of benign. It will slowly eat us in a negative way from the inside if we don't allow our creativity to push us past that initial barrier. And as Heather says, get there. There is, I think, unity with the creative force that makes the universe. And it's our true nature. And when we feel it, then even though we're in these little human forms, we know ourselves as as this divine consciousness again. And what else is really worth anything? So Marcia says, is striving for enlightenment creativity? Marcia, I'm so glad you asked because for me, there's... There's creativity as in finger painting. Then there's creativity as in having better relationships and better job. But then if, if those things start to feel like you kind of know how to do them, I guarantee enlightenment is waiting for you as the ultimate creative challenge. And here's the thing. Creativity itself takes you closer to awakening, I believe. So I have done a lot of like reading spiritual books and sitting in meditation and and pushing through my own problems and talking to enlightened friends and teachers. But I think that sitting with a bunch of blue paint yesterday and not knowing how to draw an enormous number of dead looking trees against a blue sky, like that was so mind boggling to me. And when I started to break the problem, I swear more more of the dross that fills my head fell away and left spaciousness in its place. And that's what happens. We don't, the thing about fluid intelligence is it takes away this sort of clay-like ignorance of the way things are and leaves us with a pure light. So it's very, very interesting. It's a subtractive process. We subtract the things that we're wrong about instead of adding new information. And I really do think, I'm interested to see what you guys experience when you do this exercise with 20 minutes of creative, deliberate creativity followed by creating more, uh, a, a more interesting life. Because I actually think that that process necessarily pushes you closer to enlightenment. I think that's what happened to Dante, which is, I keep talking about because I spent like five years reading him and writing a book about him. Okay. 
Anne says, I am going through a major liminal period. I am not cut out for the traditional daytime job. How do I create a meaningful work plan that brings joy and money? Thanks. Well, there are a lot of good books on this. My favorite, well, the one I wrote about it is called Finding Your Own North Star, if you want to try that one. I was bouncing off the work of a woman named Barbara Shear, S-H-E-R. She wrote a book a long time ago called Wishcraft. She was an anthropologist, but she was really a life coach. And she wrote about how to spin a life out of the, the threads of things that interest you. And that really was what helped me create a life doing coaching and writing because um, just I just needed somebody to sit there and hold my hand for the first bit of it. And once you start, once you get through that barrier, things are going to start rolling for you. Now, I also want to say something. I've coached many people who are in jobs that they don't enjoy because they need the money. Absolutely. That describes almost everyone, almost every employed person. And in every case, I've found that a lot of the time these people spend at work or even at home is about resisting the work they don't like. Either trying to force themselves to do it and not being able to, or fussing about how much they hate it and wish they could do something different. And that time, it's something that someone I know used to call faux creativity, false creativity. Because we're fussing, we think we're creating because the brain machines are working, but they aren't actually. They're just revolving around the same problems and complaining about our problems is a really, really interesting thing for our egos and creating something new and special is not, it's more interesting, but it's also more frightening. So I remember when I was in graduate seminars at Harvard and people would be criticizing aspects of, the, of society. And my question was always, you know, I agree with your critique, what shall we make instead? And what was it like a very spirited discussion with everybody shouting ideas would suddenly go completely silent because it's hard to make something better. But okay, so take some of the time you've spent resisting your job, either at your job or in your inner life when you're not there and deliberately say, I am going to take this time that I wasn't actively working at the job I hate. It's, I'm just fussing about it. I am going to take that and I am going to do something creative and fun with my time. And as you do the creative, the, the painting or the writing or the dance, whatever it is, the, the mathematical theorizing, whatever it is that makes you play, that creativity, I promise you, will go back into this question of how do I create a living? And it will start showing you the way that you can add value to the world in such quantity and quality that people will want to pay you for it. And I used to be very hesitant to tell people this, but I've seen it work a lot now. So I'm not as shy about saying it. It actually works. So Florence, hi Flo, says, do you advise going into the zone first? I would advise going into the zone all the time. The zone is that space where everything seems effortless and flowing and wonderful. But I, if I said go there first, you'd never get there because you have to overcome that initial resistance and you have to overcome a certain amount of beginner's jitters before you reach flow. Flow is a state that you get, like the first time you go out for a walk, if you've been absolutely inert for, for years, is not gonna feel good. When I first started running as a teenager, I'd never exercised and it was horrible. And the, 
And before I'd learned to run a mile, ugh, I mean, it was just God awful. If I hadn't bought some running shoes, I would never have kept doing it. Um, that's another thing. Reward yourself in ways that keep you doing things you want to do. And then, and within a year, all I had to do was put on a pair of running shoes, take three steps, and I was in the zone. That's the joy and beauty of the, of battling on, is that we do, we develop the, the crystallized intelligence and the strength of mind and body to go with the fluidity. And that's the beauty of it. That's the zone. And if we wait to go there before we do anything else, we will never go anywhere because it's hard at first. I'm not going to lie. Creativity of any kind is hard at first every day. Okay, Alora says, how do you create every day without getting burnt out? Such, such a great question. And it really comes back to talk to your animal. You live in a body that is an animal and it loves creativity, but it also knows when it's tired and when it needs to be refreshed. And it knows what makes it happy. And I remember, I, I will tell you a secret. I wrote one book, The Joy Diet, in four weeks. This seems nothing when I realized that Liz Gilbert wrote a 600 page novel in six weeks. But to me, it was impressive at the time. And I wrote basically all day and all night for those weeks. And I learned something about burnout because I would I'd write for 20 hours. I couldn't see the screen anymore. I was like making the text 90 font so I could see it. And I learned that if I would, if I went to the drugstore at three in the morning, which is the only place open, my animal, this body of mine, liked pretty things. It was just like a crow. Oh, sparkly. And I would buy something like a pen that lights up when you use it. I'd go, oh, sparkly, sparkly. I would send myself congratulations cards. They would come three days later in the mail, and I was always so happy to get them. Like, the, the animal doesn't need much. It needs to sleep. Don't stay awake all night forever. I just about killed myself doing that. So don't follow my example there. But do follow my example in giving yourself small physical pleasures and rewards, like the reward of laughter. Watch Instagram reels of silly animals and babies laughing or whatever. Like give yourself little bits of joy that come free. They're not difficult to access and your animal's going to love them. Just a, just a tickle will do. And tickle your own arms. <laughs> okay, so Kirsten says, I'm blown away by students around the age of 9 to 11 years and their creative abilities. I teach writing, acting, etc., and the poems and characters they come up with. Why is it we get so self-conscious and trapped as we grow up? This is so true. When I was teaching at Harvard, in the, I taught a drawing class with a brilliant professor there. And we'd get a lot of people who were gifted artists who'd been doing it all their lives and a lot of people who had stopped when they were children and they had always stopped around the age of 10 and at first when they picked up their pencils again their drawings developmentally looked very similar to a 10 year old's and the reason was that 10 year olds start to develop performance anxiety and shame and if you can battle on through performance anxiety and shame you'll break through the 10 year old barrier whether you're 11 or whether you're 111, like that barrier of shame, it's really important to, to start doing your creativity by yourself or with a very supportive audience because that shame barrier will keep you running back to doing things that the culture wants from you and it won't allow you to keep creating your life. 
Okay, we have just a couple more questions. Kath says, in addition to making time, what strategies do you use to get into the creative flow? Watch other people do it. That's why I love watching things on the internet about any type of skill. I know that if I go, like if I want to write funny stuff, I go and I read like Jenny Lawson, the blog S, or, or Glennon Doyle, or Liz, or David Bar Dave Barry, fabulous humor writer of your, but the same thing with painting, same thing with music, same thing with life, like organizing your closets. Watch someone else do it and be inspired. Your brain, it has mirror neuron neurons in it that will actually light up so that you feel like you're doing that and you will actually want to do it and be, get into it more easily. So use all these incredible technologies to bring teachers into your life. And Gemma says, what is that painting behind you? I love it. Thank you. I just did that one. It's called Invincible Summer and it's a spot near where we go to take out our garbage. And um, because I wanted to live in the forest my whole life. And it was, uh, when I was teaching at Harvard, we used to tell people the hardest thing to draw is foliage. Well, I used to tell people that because it was hard for me. So that's, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to paint a scene with so damn much foliage that it's going to like, it's going to force me past a lot of problems. And it did. And I'm very, very grateful for the experience. Thank you for asking. So Kathy says, when your fluid intelligence is engaged, can you feel it? Because it feels like when I'm in that mode that my brain is shifting and making new connections and it feels pretty amazing and wonderful. Anyone else feel this when you're in flow? Kathy, I think everybody can feel this. I don't think everybody does, but everybody can. So the keys are, I, I like, uh, Kathy, big cheers. Yes, that feeling is something that I think, I think it's not just possible for all of us. But I think it's one of the reasons we're here on this planet. I think we are born of the consciousness that wants to create and being able to create with these little funny bodies we have is an experience that consciousness wanted to have through you. So yeah, first thing, find what you love, find what you do in your leisure time, but push it, push yourself past the fear, push yourself past your incapacities, and then watch how you can take that feeling of flow and start applying it in other areas of your life. Your crystallized intelligence will grow, your fluid intelligence will grow. And when those start to grow at the same time, ooh, you just make, might make a whole new world. Thank you so much for joining me on The Gathering Room. I can't wait to see you again. And let's see, we're turning off all the machines. Mwah, mwah, mwah. So much love to everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 
For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.